the less frequently you have to say, I don't read that, or I don't feel comfortable reading that, the better off you are. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. Today, we are joined by Dr. Eric Postel. Dr. Postel, um, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Dr. Postel has practiced radiology for nearly 20 years. Uh, he attended Brown University in Rhode Island for undergrad, where he received a bachelor's in psychology and was convinced of a career in psychiatry at the time. Following this, he pursued his passion for medicine and attended the Ross University School of Medicine. After finishing med school, he continued to specialize in the field of radiology, undertaking a residency at Albany Medical Center and a body imaging fellowship in the North Shore, now called Northwell, both located in New York State. Dr. Postel currently works full-time as a diagnostic radiologist at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and also writes as a columnist and editorial board manager at Diagnostic Imaging. Dr. Postel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, great to be here. So um, let's jump right in. Tell me, Dr. Postel, about your background. How, how did you get into medicine? Well, uh, I was programmed from an early age, <laughs> but pre-K me had the luxury of one of those fun aunts who you always look forward to coming and visiting. And, uh, you know, as you ask a little kid, uh, you know, frequent question was, what are you going to be when you grow up? And, you know, barely speaking, I have no idea, but she was happy to provide the answer. She, uh, you know, she, she told me, you want to be a doctor. <laughs> and so you know, before too long, I'm very well trained. I know to say doctor, and you know, it wasn't all that long after that before I was even programmed to say I was I was going to be a plastic surgeon. And it wasn't until around junior high that I found out what that was. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. But by, <laughs> by then, the notion of being a doctor kind of yeah was already with me. I, I was already understanding that you needed to do something to have a living unless you uh, inherited some insane amount. Um, and, and so I like the notion of being a physician. It was a decent way to make a living you know, using your mind and uh, along the way, help some people, you know, what's a, what, what could be better. Amazing. Uh, my kids are still currently in the phase of wanting to be firefighters. So I will have to work on gently, uh, directing them towards medicine over time. What was the uh, fork in the road moment? So as, as we talked about in the bio, initially you were thinking psychiatry. At some point you changed your mind to radiology. What was that like? Well, um, after I realized that, you know, no, I didn't want to be a plastic surgeon. Uh, I was like, well, you know, what other types of uh, medicine are out there? And around junior high, high school, I uh, was learning that psychiatry is actually part of medicine, you know, you could actually uh, be a psychologist, but you could also go on to med school. And I thought, that sounds really interesting. Let's do that. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd done some reading on psychs. Or my, my high school was uh, no great Shakespeare, uh, you know, teaching you psychology. We didn't have any courses at all. So anything I learned, I did on my own. And it actually wasn't until I was in med school that I was saying, gosh, I'm learning all this fascinating stuff. And I'm gonna obviously going to need it to pass board exams and such. But when the time comes that I actually go into psychiatry, I'm going to put all this right back on the shelf and never use it again. That's a darn shame. But And you know, I was seeing other specialties also. You know, you leave a lot of stuff behind. You go into pediatrics, you're never going to treat an adult. You go into OBGYN, you're never going to treat a male patient. And uh, radiology was increasingly standing out to me as one of the few areas where you sort of get to retain and use it all. 
So interesting. And then did you, when you went to residency, did you specialize after that? Uh, yes, I uh, went on to do a uh, body fellowship. It wasn't any uh, holy mission or real deep intellectual curiosity. It, it was just a known thing at the time that you should have a fellowship. It was an attainable fellowship. It was near where I wanted to live anyway. And at the time, <laughs> the job market was not wonderful. So nobody was in a huge rush to get out of residency and go right to work. Wait, the job market was, th there can be a bad job market in radiology. That might be news to some of our younger listeners. It will be uncomfortable news when it happens again, because one thing that got beaten into our heads over and over throughout training was that everything is cyclical. Apparently, we just exited some great times and all of our attendings were telling us, oh, they might never come back. But a few attendings were like, <laughs> these things are cycles. You you will see good times again. And when they <laughs> come, enjoy them, but don't assume they're here to stay. <laughs> so, so it wasn't... Make uh... the most of it. It wasn't a job seekers market. How did you find your first job and what what did you do? Well, uh, it was actually our number one pastime. There were uh, three fellows in my program. We were all planning on staying relatively local. So we all had our ears to the ground. We were all sharing information. And we were also in a, what was commonly known as a geographically desirable location in terms of you know where people want to live, not in terms of where people are going to find the best radiology jobs. Those two things sort of were inversely proportional because mm -hmm. the local job opportunities knew everybody wants to live here. They don't have to offer you anything wonderful because if you pass on their job offering, somebody else will take it. So uh, I wasn't interested in relocating. One, one of the other fellows relocated as far away as Staten Island, which of course isn't far away at all, but he got himself a good spot that he's actually stayed in forever after. So yeah, we uh, you know had our ears to the ground. Uh, the, the other two of us have changed positions a couple of times over the years, but uh, you know Telerad was really uh, my escape hatch into better job markets without actually having to go and live in them. When did you start in teleradiology? That would be in 2011. The uh, job okay. market wasn't quite showing green shoots just then. But yeah. I had just determined I'd been in a uh, partner track spot for pushing six years, was it? Five or six years. And it was rapidly becoming apparent that that was not a real partnership. They were essentially going to call me partner and uh, I would have no clout. I would get not a dime extra. Uh, and I was like, it's too early in my career to do this. <laughs> And the local job market wasn't any better, but you know, I had actually known, I had a good feeling since way, way earlier back in med school that Telerad was going to be the way to access job markets better than where you were if you weren't inclined to relocate. And so that was my jumping off point. What was the market for teleradiology like at that time? I imagine it was in its infancy. Is, is that fair to say, or is it a little more mature than that? In 2011, it was nowhere near as robust as it is now, but there were a handful of players. VRAD had just become the 900-pound gorilla. They had just gone through their merger acquisition, whatever it was, like about a year before. Um, and in a bad job market, when practices are closing or <laughs> otherwise uh, ceasing to be, it you know, made sense to me, you know, go with the biggest, most established entity, you'll find stability there. Yeah. So VRAD was the big player. You were drawn to the remote work. What was your practice like? Still body imaging or, or were you doing everything? Well, certainly in that kind of uh, teleradiology gig, the more types of stuff you read, the better. 
there are some exceptions where subspecialty will really help you. Like uh, they had uh, some client facilities that didn't actually have their own pediatric radiologists, for instance. And so VRAD would say, hey, look, you can use our peds guys to you know, remotely staff your place. And so, you know, by virtue of their peds fellowships, they actually got to work during the day. Most of the VRAD work at that time was overnight. So I was doing the seven on, seven off to go start my typical shift at 9 p.m. and uh, go through till dawn. But uh, yeah, in that kind of situation where you want to have as much access to the work list as possible, the more you read, the better. The less frequently you have to say, I don't read that, or I don't feel comfortable reading that, uh, the better off you are, because you have access to more of the work list, you can fulfill more needs, and it's also just more interesting to you. Who wants to read the same thing all day? Absolutely. We hear from radiologists all the time that one of the more effective ways to keep the job interesting is to have a wide variety and wide range in the work that they do, which is oftentimes at odds with maybe what the referring physician wants, which is like the most hyper subspecialized read they can get. And so it means that if you want to be a generalist reading across multiple areas, you actually have to be more of a multi-specialist and, and you know, provide subspecialty, high quality level reads kind of regardless of what it is that you're doing, which it sounds like you've been able to do and, and navigate effectively in your career. So what drew you initially to teleradiology? You know, you talked a little bit about why things you were ready for a change. What have been some of the pros um, and maybe some of the cons that uh, you've experienced? Um, the original appeal that I think I'd mentioned before was the uh, the notion that you could tap into a job market anywhere. If you're living somewhere where the job options are just god awful, uh, you can reach. You know, so so you really wanted to stay in New York? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, pretty strong ties to the area. If enough people moved out, that could change, but I, I do like it. <laughs> That's like uh, my my wife and her family. They all live in Cincinnati, and I've been slowly trying to convince everyone that they should move somewhere else, and then eventually lost that battle and <laughs> will be living my life in Cincinnati. So I, I hear you there. Yeah, so it's good to have that ability to reach out. There was even a little while, a few years back, where a friend of mine from med school you know, had some interesting entrepreneurial ideas. He's originally from Lebanon. And he's got uh, ties to the Middle East. And he was saying that there's a lot of interest in American trained physicians over there. Mm. So I, I've been in teleradiology for a few years at that point. He saw real potential. And so for a couple of years, we were actually you know, potentially going to be launching our own international telerad thing. We had our corporate entity. I've, I've still got the pens, but, uh, you know, for various social and political issues, uh, including the uh, Lebanese prime minister going missing for a few weeks. You know, that amounted to not a lot, but it was fun while it lasted. What a neat idea. And it's so interesting because so often what you read about is the idea of American studies being read overseas, but the idea that the American physicians can provide really high quality health care to those in need abroad is, is a different angle and sounds like a good business idea. It was, it was really exciting stuff. And uh, if it had gone just a little bit further, I would have wound up, you know, joining him on a couple of uh, flights over there, you know, to meet up with the local folks who could provide the contracts and stuff. But we were, you know, a step and a half away from that happening. So at least I didn't wind up, uh, you know, spending any excess time in airports. <laughs> so what have been some of the cons of, of working in teleradiology? So uh, some of the downsides of it, and these are going to matter more to some people than others, 
if you like having your in-person interactions, if you like the notion of clinicians coming by to, to chat with you in the reading room, or if you appreciate uh, shooting the breeze with the text now and then, that kind of goes away. And in the meantime, a lot of Telerad outfits make it so you wouldn't want to do that anyway, because especially with places like VRAD, where it's pure per click, you want to spend every moment you possibly can reading cases. And so the more of the ancillary stuff that maybe uh, introduces some variety and fun stuff in the day, that starts to go away. And uh, if you're not inclined to glue your eyes to the screen, you know, and just stay on task, maybe not the best move. <laughs> so um, are you describing yourself as someone that loves to just glue your eyes to the screen and stay on task and you know, crush through a list and you get that dopamine rush from hitting your number or what motivates you? Oh yeah. I, um, I, and, and actually I used to say in my last pre-teleradiology job, the role that they'd sort of put me in was to be the guy who gets interrupted. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, was, I was constantly having to go and place IV lines because they, sure. you know, they don't have anybody else doing that. Um, when I was in the office that had the fluoro machine, I got yanked over there. I was the uh, diagnostic mammo guy, which you know was really strange considering you know <laughs> body imaging background. Yeah, you know, so I, I got to do all these things that would interrupt me. I used to tell people, you know, I think I would do just fine if you just locked me in a closet with a little bit of ventilation <laughs> and a stack of cases, and I'll, I'll spend you know half the day at a time there. It's funny, yeah. My wife is. A fellow, and before that, she just finished residency, and she always complained about that. It's like, oh yeah, the residents are the ones that have to answer the phones so that the you know attendings can keep working and, and being productive. Or you know, she'll come in and say, I did three fluoro studies today. So common themes have not changed in fifteen years since your first job as the low man on the totem pole. And it's uh, you sort of adapt to your environment. When I saw that I was going to be getting all those interruptions. I sort of modify the cases I tend to read to be what I call bite-sized cases. You know, I would grab all the x-rays, all the nuke metaphors, the mammo, because I was doing that anyway, the ultrasound, anything that I could read in a minute or around there, it didn't matter if I got interrupted to go do an IV or something, because you're not going to come back to your chest x-ray and say, okay, where was I? But if yeah. you're doing a follow-up cancer whole body scan, you can just get mentally derailed. And unless you've got a saintly temperament, it's going to tax your uh, your patience. <laughs> sure. Well, and potentially interrupt patient care, right? Because you can't remember where you picked up and then you got to start the whole thing over and makes a ton of sense. What other productivity hacks do you have for folks? What are the things that work well for you? Well, um, obviously, there are reasons why I'm not with VRAD anymore, but uh, I've always maintained that out of all of the Telerad outfits I've seen, they seem to have the best system in terms of giving you all the tools for efficiency you could want. They remove a lot of the fluff that gets in your way. You know, certainly working from home, you're not going to have to go place IVs, do fluoro and that kind of thing. But at the same time, their system, you've actually got, in addition to the mouse with your one hand, they had another input device for the other hand. So you could uh, you had buttons for each finger. You could map a bunch of keyboard shortcuts. So you almost never had to touch the keyboard. You very rarely even had to look away from the images to anything else you were doing. It really gave you the efficiency you needed. They had the ability to uh, sign off one case. The next one immediately pops up. All the information you need is on the screen there. You don't need to go clicking around. And to a certain mm -hmm. extent, 
knowing how you like things organized, you'll be able to set up a lot of different types of software to do similar things. But sometimes you are limited by the infrastructure you're given. And sure. in those circumstances, it is really nice if you are in a place where you can talk to the folks with the ability to make changes and say, hey, you know, this tool would really help me. This other thing is standing in the way. And if they not only listen to you, but actually, you know, have the clout to make those changes rather than saying, yeah, maybe someday. Yeah. You recently joined UPMC. What brought you to UPMC? And I, I'll admit, I was surprised when we first met that you aren't in Pittsburgh. So how did that <laughs> all come to be? Well, um, when I left VRAD, one of the main reasons was that I'd gotten tired of the seven on seven off thing. I had a few years before I finished there, um, I had moved to daytime. They had an interesting uh, issue, which a lot of teleradiology places were having, where there were more and more x-rays on the list. So a lot of clients were saying, hey, if you want our CT and MR, you better read our x-ray too. And a lot of the teleradiologists didn't want any part of that because the x-rays paid horribly low, you know, in terms of, you know, value of your time. So VRAD had offered up this notion, hey, look, we've got this glut of x-rays, an awful lot of them are not emergent at all. They don't have to be read right away. Anybody who's willing to self-select to have a work list full of those x-rays, you don't have to be working at nights anymore. You can work during the day. And mm. that sounded great to me because in the previous job, I had become the bite-sized imaging specialist. So I was like, a, a work list full of x-rays? I know how to tear through those. Give me. So I was uh, doing daytime stuff, but it was still seven on seven off. And I told them at some point, hey, look, if these things are not emergent, I don't see why it's necessary for me to be working half of my weekends doing these yeah. things. Tell you what, uh, I think that, that came out to like uh, 1800 something hours a year. I said, let me work, you know, Monday to Friday, still 10 hour shifts. I'll do 40 weeks a year for you. You get, I think, like 2000 hours out of me instead or 2200, something like that. I'll read more cases, so I'll earn more. I'll get my weekends back. It's a win-win. And they said positive things about it, but they just never seemed to be able to get it done. So I, mm. uh, by then, the job market had come roaring back, and other teleradiology places were available elsewhere. And that's when I, I moved on to Telerad from Pennsylvania instead of, yeah. <laughs> instead of the big really, national thing. It's so you know, such a common theme, the the x-ray challenge, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next few years, whether it's AI or mid-levels or combination of things. I hope I don't get canceled for bringing up the prospect of mid-levels on the show, but I am a practical person at heart, and I don't know, we, we can't keep doing the same thing. That would be insane, so we could do something different, so I don't know, uh, but anyway... So you're finding more Telerad opportunities. The other thing that's interesting about what you said is these big companies, right? It's hard for them to deviate, right? Because they've got oh, yes. a model and I don't know how many radiologists BRAD employs. I guess they're part of RAD Partners now, so thousands. Yeah, um, at, at the time they were over 400. Yeah, so, you know, okay, well, in theory, it sounds good that Dr. Postal wants to do this, but then what happens when Dr. Smith and <laughs> Dr. Singh and, you know, every other doctor comes with their requests and all of a sudden the model's broken. And so it's really hard. I'm sympathetic to their situation and I'm sympathetic to your situation. And then it sort of makes sense that you end up finding something better that works better for you. But it's also interesting to hear that UPMC now, you know, 
I think of UPMC. So I've been out to Pittsburgh. I've seen their facilities before. Multiple massive hospital system, multiple centers, huge program, hundreds of doctors. I was surprised to hear that they spun up teleradiology. Was that new? Is that something they've been doing a long time? Is it something they just said, we can't keep up with the volume? So whatever, you know, like, what is it? Well, it's a uh, it's a new incarnation of a previous idea. There had been a radiology group you might have heard of called Nines. Um, yes, they had their own uh, AI thing going on, and I guess UPMC was their main client. And I don't know how long they've been going on. I, I was aware of them. I knew people who'd gone to work for them. But by the time I was looking for the new opportunities, I actually had seen an ad listing for UPMC talking about body. And I forget whether the phrasing implied that teleradiology might be a thing or, or I just knew that they already had some of their stuff being read by Telerad. So I reached out to this body imaging ad and spoke to somebody who happened to come from my residency just before I was there. And he's like, well, this ad really wasn't for Telerad, but we, um, Nines actually uh, just sort of transformed itself. The, uh, the AI portion split off to go somewhere else. And uh, so their radiology section wasn't going to continue as it was. So I guess UPMC had said, hey, we like the work you've been doing for us. We don't want to see that change. How about we just make a teleradiology division and just keep you folks on board under that new aegis? So they were actually putting together their own teleradiology section with the same people the nines had had. And uh, so that was, uh, I think they'd started, I think it was in late 2021 that they'd started that. I joined up in March of last year. And Amazing. so it's, uh, it's still a pretty darn new entity. They're, they're still figuring out how to do things efficiently. And there's always the issue when you've got that big on-site presence of radiologists, you want to make sure people aren't stepping on each other's toes and, You've got an equitable division of labor and people are helping each other in effective ways rather than clashing and tug of warring over cases. So it's still finding its footing, but it's a world better than the uh, seven on seven off VRAD life I'd have. So yeah, so what's the schedule like? <laughs> well, and uh, part of why this new situation is so much nicer um, is there's a lot of flexibility built in. The, a couple of the original Nines guys were West Coasters. So they could be covering evenings while still working more or less daytime hours in their neck of the woods. When I was starting up being on East Coast, I wouldn't have the time zone assistance, but I was inclined to do days actually starting earlier than I previously had when I was at previous gigs. I'm pretty committed to a decent exercise regimen. And I was discovering that leaving exercise to after a full workday was probably the better way for me to go because getting up earlier than I needed to <laughs> yep. to force myself to go out running or go down to the basement and you know, lift those weights it's so much easier to just to be like hey I could just sleep another hour and the next thing you know <laughs> so so I was like you know what let, let me move my work day earlier you know I have to like seven to four and then I get done there's plenty of daylight left I can sure. you know, still be motivated and that's, that's worked out nicely. And they were very willing. I, I guess I, I also built the idea as, Hey, let me be your morning guy who cleans up what's left over from the night. I'll show up at 7am. Yeah. The, the ERs won't quite have gotten busy yet. I'll, uh, you know, all that cleanup and, yeah. uh, you know, serving one another's needs very nicely. That's awesome. And, and so you're similarly doing a broad range of studies. 
Uh, yeah, is it predominantly the, um, ER or or is there other stuff as well? There's definitely ER. Um, the X-ray issue is uh, yep. is still around. There's an awful lot of ICU films and uh, you know and other stuff that's accumulated from the inpatients overnight. Uh, so I get to once again use my bite-sized imaging, not quite uh, subspecialty. <laughs> but there's also cancer cases. There's uh, you know follow-up surgical mishaps, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's not quite as broad range as VRAD had. You know, really couldn't be. VRAD was covering probably thousands of facilities, certainly hundreds. Sure. And, you know, you've got that all over the country, uh, you know, all hours of the day. Uh, you're going to have just about every type of imaging other than interventional. So with, with the current situation, it's a, it's a little less broad range than that. Uh, again, because you do have the subspecialists on site who are subspecialists for a reason. And on top of that, there's an academic component. So you don't want, they don't want you taken all the valuable teaching cases and then their residents are left reading the ICU films instead of the Telerad. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a lot of give and take and there's also, uh, you know, it's an evolving beast as it goes along. Like we were looking for more volume. And so we wound up uh, getting a bunch of uh, cancer cases added to our list. And some teleradiologists would hear, oh, we're going to give you more work, cancer cases. And they're like, oh, what do you, wait, I'm per click. I'm, I'm not, I don't want that. You know, that's going to slow me down. But depending on how you approach it, what your model is, far from the deal killer. Yeah. Awesome. Tell us more about your column with diagnostic imaging. How did that come about and what led to you becoming a columnist? Well, uh, that actually started during the uh, year that I was shifting from on-site to Telerad. Getting on board with VRAD and any other multi-facility place, you've got to get uh, credentialed at a bunch of places. You probably need a bunch of state licenses. That takes some time. So I had a period of months I called a sabbatical, for lack of a better term. Um, It just happened to be over the summer. So I was like, hey, I'll have a summer break like I used to. And I was like, yeah, this will be nice. And during the time, I've, I've always been a writer. I thought, hey, I've got no excuses right now. Let's see if I can't put together an op. And the answer was I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I found too many other enjoyable things to do with the summer instead. But I was doing writing. And I was spending a lot of time on a physician's forum back then. Um, and I'm blanking on the name. But I'm sure they'd be horrified that I've forgotten what they're called now. But it was any type of physician. All you needed to get in there was to be able to show proof that, yes, I'm a physician. Here's my degree. Here's my license. And then you could be on the forum. And then, of course, because it's social media, everybody still bickers and acts like children anyway. That there was some interesting stuff also. It wasn't all petty. So folks sharing interesting cases, asking advice from one another. And one thing leads to another, and I guess uh, one of the sponsors, Diagnostic Imaging, the website where I guess they happened to see a couple of things I'd written and decided I could put a couple of words together at the keyboard. And so they offered the notion of writing a blog for them. And I like the idea of getting paid uh, pittance, but, uh, you know, it's it's still a little something in exchange for writing rather than just wasting my time on this uh, (laughs) <laughs> on this bulletin board and, you know, getting nothing for it. So I, I started in, uh, you know, 2011 and I've been doing it ever since. Amazing. What are the topics that you find yourself writing the most about? Anything that isn't academic or scholarly. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when they originally approached me, I said, hey, just so we're clear, I am not cutting edge anything. I'm not going to have anything interesting to say about, you know, how to read a CT better or this interesting finding on MR. You want that, you better go to somebody who's actually a little more plugged in. 
But you know what I can offer is the ancillary stuff about teleradiology, stuff that maybe you don't see too much in a lot of the literature. Um, there were a couple of publications out there. there there's one still. Um, I think the, the guy calls this column Wet Read. He's on the back page. I don't know if he's in interventionals, but it seems like he does procedures. And it's this fun, quirky thing with some interesting outlooks on, on a bunch of stuff. And I was like, that's the kind of thing I think I could offer. And it also reminded me way back when in grade school, uh, where every now and then you get a teacher who wasn't just going to stand there, you know, spitting the material at you and uh, doing the curriculum stuff. They'll, you know, launch into interesting side stories or go outside the lines a little bit and, you know, make it fun. And I was like, that's the sort of thing I could see myself doing. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be about uh, the sort of stuff that a non-academic, you know, a standard in the trenches radiologist might experience regularly. And they, hey, is anybody else feeling this way? Or has anybody else experienced this? And, and so I've decided to do that, you know, and occasionally share insights about, hey, uh, this lousy job I had back fresh out of residency. Let me tell you about the things they did wrong, obviously, without mentioning names. <laughs> do any articles that you wrote, uh, did any of them sort of break through in a in a different way than, than others that, you know, spurred a lot of conversation or, you know, anything stand out? Way back when, in an earlier uh, incarnation of the website, they actually had the ability for folks to post comments. And so every now and then I'd go and see, hey, what, what are people saying? That went away at some point. So uh, other than when they told me, hey, this week's column, you know, we got a lot, a lot of hits, you know, they, then they'll give me some statistics and that would be a little bit of feedback. But other than that, I, uh, you know, I sort of operate a little bit in a void, like every now and then somebody, uh, you know, I'll see somebody starts following me on Twitter related to what something I posted. I'm like, all right, I guess that resonated. And then once in a blue, I'll you know, be interviewing somewhere or I'll be chatting with a radiologist and, you know, it will come up that I uh, write this comment. I'm like, oh, that's you. And I think I've got this infinitesimal notion of what it might be like to be famous in another life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I for, for, for forget about a Z-list celebrity. I, you know, they, we need a lot more letters in the alphabet to get down to, to get down to my level. <laughs> what is the number one thing you're most concerned about in the field right now? My biggest concern over the years and manifests in a lot of different ways is just how little control we've got over our own destiny. Certainly some radiologists or uh, physicians are, have a little bit more of a hand on the steering wheel than others, but the vast majority of us, we are essentially kids in the back seat who are buckled in and we're going wherever that vehicle takes us. And there's always this concern that it might be, you know, off of a cliff or it might be into a really shady motel. There's a big sense that we don't know what's coming around the next bend. And even if we do see what's coming, we're not necessarily going to be able to do anything about it. Folks talk about uh, reaching out to the ACR, writing to congressman or whatever, but I don't know how many of us really feel like any of us have an ability to, <laughs> to impact what's coming our way. Hmm. Any suggestions on that topic, on what people can do? Well, um, I've certainly heard stuff about, well, get involved at ACR, you know, uh, run for positions, you know, be the change that you want to see come about. And I think an awful lot of people who've got full-time jobs, families, you know, interests, sounds great, but maybe in another life <laughs> or maybe, sure. in, you know, like, like in that movie, Multiplicity, let me clone myself <laughs> over. and clone number three over to be the rabble rouser. 
one thing uh, you know that has occurred to me over over the years that I guess it's tangentially related, and I guess it goes hand in hand with being that passenger in the backseat of the car who's got no control over the situation. I get the impression that a lot of radiologists live in fear. There's the sense that I've got to do everything just right. If I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing, if I fail to do the right thing, a uh, horrible calamity could befall me. I could annoy you know, the wrong referrer. I could get in trouble with the wrong administrator. I could get the wrong regulator cracking down on me. Terrible things would happen. And it is, of course, you know, we, we do have to be aware of the consequences of our actions. But I think maybe you know, it has something to do with being in a corner of the medical field where we tend to hide and die uh, in reading rooms by ourselves. I think there's a tendency for that fear to get a little paralytic and sure. you know, may, maybe not speaking up as much as we should um, and not standing up for ourselves. Uh, so when another round of unreasonable engine cuts come out, well, that's just the way things are. Well, you know, is it? <laughs> yeah. I'm an optimistic person by nature. So uh, what is something you are positively excited about? <laughs> well, um, I really do, uh, you know, it circles back to teleradiology. I really do think that it's a good thing for a number of reasons, but one of them is that competition breeds improvement. And when you have more people able to access more parts of the radiology world, you have that robustness coming from more locations. So you don't just have New York competing against New York, California competing against California. Good ideas are going to travel. Best practices are going to thrive from one place to another. So I do think that it increases the size of the Petri dish of radiology to uh, make a bizarre metaphor. And I do think that can lead to better growth and uh, you know more innovation. So I, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. I, I see it continuing to accelerate, and I think it's a wonderful thing. I don't think I've ever heard that angle before about how teleradiology increases competition, but it's certainly true. And you often think too of medicine as you know, especially private medicine having some local monopoly type of power where. You know, you've got a big powerful group and they've got all the contracts and patients and referrers don't necessarily have choice. And it does introduce a lot more choice and it also creates a lot more competition among radiologists to get better and improve. And the downsides of that are apparent, but the upsides are clear as well. And competition is very good. So really interesting answer. Dr. Postal, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. I, I loved hearing about your journey and looking forward to reading your next column. Ah, thanks. It's been good fun to be here. The time flew. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at the radiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online. <laughs>